I just watched the entire countdown music video by Beyonce and I am just on like another level right now. Welcome to Chapel Velker, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. The theme of the week this week <laughs> is stay pissed. Stay pissed, Justin. Stay pissed. Why are we so mad? You're going to be... Because we're playing USC, my dudes. Why we are we so USC mad about this weekend. Well, okay. Let me just tell you about one Stephen or Spurrier. Uh-huh. The thing is, and I just want to get this out of my system real quick. Um, you know, dealing with Steve Spurrier is kind of conundrum because like he, there's a respectability about him cause he's very good at his job, but then simultaneously, um, he is such a big troll that if you get angry at him, it's like, that's what he wants. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I've, I've just decided at this point in my life, I just have to play into what he wants, which is for me to be pissed off at him. So let me tell you this dumb sack of has not gotten over losing to UGA as a player in i don't know 45 years and it, it just <laughs> like i i don't know if i'll ever forgive anything that he said about uga and maybe one day i will be a good enough man that i won't take like a weird petty like i won't have this like weird petty glee when we beat the shit out of south carolina but i i don't think that day will come soon yeah i, I think it's i like when when we beat when we beat USC so bad that it made them fire Steve Surrier and then indirectly made us fire Mark Richt, I like that was like one of the better days of my life. Like that is, I am not joking. I'm a hundred percent serious making Steve Spurrier quit and watching the just life run out of his body was just, Oh man, it was just beautiful. It was just really beautiful. <laughs> I just watched the entire countdown music video by Beyonce and I'm just on like another level right now. Sandwich between Stay just pissed. double doses of Sandstorm. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> San- to Sandstorm, Sandstorm is a weird one because like Sandstorm is like vintage late 90s Euro trash techno. Mm-hmm. And it's just so weird to me that a school in the capital of South Carolina is like, you know what would be great? Let's just like crank some weird German techno up. <laughs> Uh, anyway it's funny that you bring up that we're super pissed about this and i ask why are we pissed for a number of reasons one i i didn't like steve spurrier either though i did really love hate and ask spurrier which is one of my favorite articles to read each week uh because steve spurrier is a big troll but the funny thing about this quote-unquote rivalry rivalry and it's a shame that this is an audio medium because you can't see my very very heavy quotes is that this really isn't a rivalry if you just want to look at the stats of the whole thing. Uh, And I'm just going to run right into the Winsipedia real quick for you because uh, it kind of details something a little bit different than what South Carolina may want you to believe, uh, that the South Carolina team was not super relevant to the UGA program until most recently in those Steve Spurrier years, that the all-time record for this, this series of games is 51 UGA wins, two ties, and 18 wins of South Carolina. So just by the numbers alone, this never really was a rivalry by any means. And by every conceivable metric down below, all 12 of the, the metrics like all-time record, national championships, conference championships, et cetera, et cetera, UGA takes away every single one of them. And so it's just a really funny thing, other than the fact that they're just about an hour away, maybe a little bit longer. Um, 
there isn't really a good reason for this to be a rivalry other than if you were to just look at 2005 to now, you know? Yeah. Listen, <laughs> Did I lose you? I, I, <laughs> no, you didn't. No, I'm with you. It's just like, I agree with you in a vacuum, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I, it, why, what is it? it? Just, why? Why? Tell just, me uh, more. Just, hold on. Just, just watching that little, chicken leg piece of <laughs> grin at me every time and having some to say about well it's funny how when you play uga you know it's good to play him at the beginning of the year I, he's disney he doesn't sound like bobby petrino what am mm-hmm. i saying he's like you know it's good to play him at the beginning of the year because someone's always suspended it's like well mother if you had any academic standards or standards for like behavior in your program you'd have people suspended too and it's like oh my god i just hate him so much <laughs> i'll never i'll never let it go yeah i'll never let it go god and just like when they won and Steven Garcia, like Steven Garcia, who in every other situation is like my personal hero. But when he just like ran his trashy ass around the field after they beat us like 45 to 42 or whatever in 2013, I think it was just like, so, and there, and there is such a portion of their fan base that is just living in a deeply deluded state of mind. I think that's really why it's a rivalry is because like South Carolina fans kind of to their credit just could give a that like UGA has historically been the better program. They do not care. They also don't think that's true. There was a guy who was like a talk radio host in Charlotte today who covers USC who was like, well, you know, in the past five years, three years, uh, three of the, or in the past 10 years, three of those years, USC finished with a better team than UGA, which is like, mm, ah, that may be true. But he's like, well, there's no reason to expect that in the fifth year under Will Muschamp, they can't do that again. And it's like, wow, you're just really making it worse for them, dude. There's a lot of systemic reasons why USG why USC struggles against UGA. A lot of systemic reasons. Mm-hmm. Right? And and it's it's not and it's not anybody at USC's fault even. The like the, there's just the money involved and the commitment in the program and the you know talent base involved means that unless you have and I hate to use these words cuz I'm giving him credit unless you have a truly once in a generation once in a lifetime coach you're not going to get to 9 and 10 wins unless a bunch of five star recruits fall into your lap and Steve Spurrier had both of those things happen at the same time that Florida and Georgia were trash mm-hmm. and it's like the fact that the the idea that that's going to happen again is pretty it's staggering i mean like the idea that you're going to get like Jadavion Clowney plus four or five other four stars yeah like Marcus literally Lattimore. within 30 minutes of, yeah but within 30 minutes of your school growing up like that is what fueled that run so like that's actually it actually makes it worse that it shouldn't be a rivalry because sc fans are so deeply convinced that it is mm-hmm. this is like this is part and parcel to the uga phenomena that like people hate uga more than uga hates them in general other than me um but this is a very good example of this it always seems like UGA's MO is kind of, well, we don't think about you. you I know? don't think about you at all. <laughs> I don't think about you. Except that's not true. That's not true. I am not John Hamm cool at all. No. I mean, I'm also not like a <laughs> sexual assaulter. Yeah. Not that John Hamm is, but that character is. Yeah. Uh, what other subjective narratives are, have you been hearing? Just because we we're kind of ju- just jumped right into the subjective narrative piece. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had a lot of, I had a lot of to talk. So, um, you know, honestly, like, I don't really have a lot of narratives. I, I mean... <laughs> I think we're going to win this game pretty convincingly. Yeah, it feels that way too. We're we're pretty close to the the gauntlet, so to speak, with uh, the Auburn, Florida, Texas A&M games coming up. But until then, it's pretty easy going for the most part, as far as just statistically speaking goes. Uh, you know, we're supposed to win this game ninety percent of the time. 
that this game is played out of a thousand times. So it's pretty handily <laughs> that this game uh, is going to go in our direction. One, uh, there are a couple other things. This is kind of also, we, we touched on this last episode too, is talking about there's this really interesting coincidence and circumstance that we are playing a bunch of teams in a row that are all coming off bye weekends. And so this is the first team, I believe, that is coming off a bye weekend that we're playing. And we're going to get to see how that might affect them. And we did talk a little bit about how that is really just an opportunity for the team to A, prepare a little bit further and B, uh, recover some injuries. And so one injury specifically for this team that is is actually going to come around is one of the wide receivers in Davis. He hasn't played at all this year and it probably shows a little bit. It could be the fact that Ryan Helensky is just a bad quarterback or it could be that the, the folks that he's throwing to are just not that great. But, uh, so not really sure what's going to happen in that realm quite yet, but it could go either way that Davis might make an impact. It might not. Uh, they do have another pretty decent wide receiver that will probably have a, a decent career going forward. But as of right Brian now, Edwards. yeah. And, and Brian Edwards, um, they have Brian Edwards. Shy Smith is pretty good. Rico mm-hmm. Dowdle out of the backfield is a decent pass catcher. Yeah. Um, do you want to, do you want to talk about some stats on that now? Yeah, we can. Absolutely. I was going to ask you if you All had right. anything else to add to the, that, the the bye week narrative uh, that people are, are you know spinning. i mean i i think you know there's that whole like helinski's hope thing where people hold up three mm-hmm. that's kind of cool i'm into that i mean like what is that the, it's not uh so you know tyler helinski who is ryan helinski's brother or was uh passed away from suicide i guess two years ago he's quarterback at washington state and he was um i guess they have this thing called helinski's hope now um that is like a support a suicide prevention foundation or whatever that works with mental health and mm-hmm. and athletes and stuff and they're doing this thing where they hold up three during the game everybody does as like a sign of support for it or whatever because that was uh tyler helinski's number i don't know if you guys have seen this it's I, or if you have seen this it's i, I think it's a pretty cool gesture mm-hmm. i mean i think um mental health is a vastly is a vastly underappreciated aspect of the college game and that a lot of times people yeah well people are people are suffering right mm-hmm. and not they don't always i don't know i don't know that it it always gets enough um i don't know that it always gets enough attention the way it should yeah that's all so we'll look out for it um yeah we can definitely talk about this game if you want it from a stats perspective yeah. going forward let's do it hit me with some stats okay, so one of the things I do think is really, really interesting is that um, this team is not good at passing the ball, <laughs> and like, like obviously, like okay. So if you look at if you look at Ryan Holinsky, who is a very talented freshman quarterback who came out of California, I think. Um, if you look at his stats on the year, his raw stats, he doesn't look too bad. Eighty-eight for one fifty-three, um, you know, a sixty-one percent completion record. 877 yards so like just those basic stats not horrible um but if you the deeper you get into the numbers the more it's like uh it starts to look a little bit more iffy uh-huh. uh so yeah this year ryan Holinsky, he's thrown for 912 yards 61 percent completion completion percentage but he has thrown three picks to five touchdowns on the Oof. year he has only racked up a 58 percent success rate and his explosiveness rate is only 26 percent 
Or say, no, I'm sorry, those were those are Jake Fromm's numbers. They're way worse than that. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> He's only racked up a 39% success rate, and his explosiveness rate is 14%. As I said that first set of numbers, I was like, actually, that's way better than I thought. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> um, yeah. So 39, 39% success rate. Uh, passing success rate on the year, the average is about 41%. So that's below average. Explosiveness rate, explosiveness rate of 14. Average is about 20 per, uh, 20% on the year. He just has not been very effective Lots of underneath stuff that he's completing or is probably inflating his completion percentage. Um, you know, 88 completions for uh, 87 yards or 877 yards. That's just under 10 yards per uh, completion. Not per attempt, but per completion. That's not super bad. 10 yards mm-hmm. per completion is not too awful. No. But I, it's, it's still just not. There's something dysfunctional about this offense. Uh, or about this passing offense, and you can really see it in the reception numbers. Before we get even into the, before we even get into the team wide numbers, the reception numbers. If you look at this team, um, one of the things that really struck me when I looked at the receiving charts side by side on this uh-huh. team is that, like, okay, so like if we look at UGA's best um, wide receivers, okay, Lawrence Cager, seventeen pass attempts, fifteen receptions. Demetrius Robinson, fourteen pass attempts, twelve receptions. George Pickens, 20 pass attempts, 8 receptions. DeAndre Swift, 11 pass attempts, 10 receptions. Now, if you look at the same top four for South Carolina, Brian Edwards, 50 pass attempts, 27 receptions. Shai Smith, 29 pass attempts, 18 receptions. Kyle Markway, 22 pass attempts, 14 receptions. Josh Van, 16 pass attempts, 11 receptions. Just, just the raw amount of receptions versus attempts for their top receivers is it's garbage. Not- yeah, it's not very good. And, and you know, Brian Edwards is by far their most, uh, I think, probably their highest ceilinged offensive sure. player. He's yeah. probably going to play in the NFL. But 27 receptions on 50 ta- pass attempts is not good. And no. I honestly, I don't think that most of that is Brian Edwards. <laughs> like, I, a lot of that is, you know, a sometimes overmatched freshman quarterback who has a really good arm and is a good athlete, but is not gonna is not going to throw with the accuracy that you need him. You know, I mean, even if you look at the rushing stats, and I mean, the problem is for South Carolina, if you have that, what you need to happen is you need your uh, you need your quarterback to be a legitimate threat to run. But on the year, Ryan Holetsky has carried the ball six times for 23 yards. So like, it, like just that, I think there is a lot of, there's actually a lot to like about this USC team that they do really well. But that they are very, very one-dimensional offensively, yeah. And that is really that is really the thing that blew my mind the most. Like, you know, their their yards per play rank is fifty second. Um, their SR rank is 59th, right? However, their rush SR rank is nineteenth. They have a rush success rate of fifty-one percent, which is good, right? But their pass sex, uh, their pass success rate, their rank is ninety-eighth. They only they only um, have successful pass plays thirty-seven percent of the time. That is not good at all. And it is bad enough that it has prevented them from winning some games that they otherwise might have won. Just competent quarterback play in their first game against UNC probably gets them a win, mm. right? And I mean, that's my biggest takeaway is just like, I short of an out-of-his-mind game from Ryan Holinsky, it's hard for me to imagine this USC team really threatening Georgia that much. While there are certainly a couple of areas in which USC's offense matches up well against the defense and particularly in the, in the pass or in the rushing game, it it's just hard for me to imagine them playing a complete offensive game with the production that they've been getting Helensky to this point in the year. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, I mean, he's a very talented player. That doesn't mean he can't. It's just, 
I kind of think that the game plan against Talinsky will be ser- will be similar to the game plan against Maurer, which is like even if you can't sack him on every play, just make him uncomfortable, get in his face, have people around him, have dudes rolling around at his feet. And that sort of like just get him to have happy feet. Yeah. Because he has not been very accurate in the best of times this year. Um, And I think that that is what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to make them one dimensional, maybe even one dimensional towards what they want to do, which frankly, they want to pass. Yeah. They They very much want to run rather. Sorry, let me rephrase. They want to run like their rush rate rank um, is really Huh. Yeah, the rush rate rank is not exactly where it is. Yeah, that's really weird. I said I I said I said something wrong because like I my 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 concept my kind of entering concept was the fact was the the idea that they wanted to run the ball but and they've been good at it and they haven't been good at passing. Uh-huh. But really, the reverse is almost true. They haven't been good. They 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 haven't been good at passing, but they also haven't wanted to run the ball. They haven't run the ball well, that much this year. I think the issue that's really odd. It's fu- it's funny you say that because just by the raw numbers, their their ru- rushing rank is pretty good. They have a yards per play rushing that's third. But I think the real issue is that they get behind so fast that they have to start passing it and relying on Helensky. And so that's right. kind of where the issue comes from. So that rush they rate have, right I mean, now they is certainly, like 40% that was certainly the problem the against Alabama. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah. they might be skewed a little bit in that sense, but I think that this team just has an issue getting the run game started and therefore has to rely on the passer in order to keep up and then just cannot keep up because of it when they should be running the ball, most likely. But if you... Yeah. Uh, another really interesting statistic, too, that is not actually shown in our stats is time of possession. Uh, if you go back and look at some of these games that South Carolina has had, uh specifically like i'll just pull the north carolina game which i find most interesting uh they only had the ball for 26 minutes on the game as opposed to unc's 33 minutes and it's yeah, just that's bad it's bad it's really bad and it's a team that has good running backs and they have a decent offensive line as far as making holes goes but they don't yeah. have enough time R- in the rico daddle is a good back yeah and they've got yeah exactly they've got a good back and everything so if they if they started the run game they probably wouldn't be too bad just based on these numbers alone but it seems like they're they're doing a a very poor job of protecting their quarterback and actually being able to use the weapons that they have appropriately um well i mean and you know i i i really like their offensive coordinator brian mcclendon mm-hmm. i think he's a smart guy Where'd he's he come off the from? he's off the co- uh he went to uga he was on That's mark right. okay. last coaching staff he was he was the running backs coach here okay before del mcgee I mean, he was the he was the guy that I said at the time was like the 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 guy I was most worried about losing off of the coaching staff was Brian McClendon. Is that who stepped up? Very good when Rick left the last yeah. couple games. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's yeah. okay. And and also had and just had you know was a smart guy. He prepared well. Him and um, Lily prepared really well for that last bowl game when Rick wasn't here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's a really good coach. Actually, I just I don't. I, I it feels to me a lot that he is being hamstrung by his yeah. um head coach's sort of shall we say proclivities <laughs> right like it, it just it doesn't there's just a lot about this team the way they play and the way they've played under Muschamp basically his entire career there where they try to play this like win on the margins low variance low ceiling kind of ball but what ends up happening functionally is that they they don't have it, it is the Alabama game plan, right? Well, the 2013 Alabama game plan. It is the Georgia game plan, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't have the players to do it. So they, you know, like like 
it's just really weird, man. Because it's like, okay, so like if you look at their raw rushing numbers, and we can get into the the more like holistic team stuff in a second. I think it's kind of boring because I think UJ is going to win. But if you look <laughs> at their raw rushing numbers, they're kind of hard to figure because like, you you know, this is a team that wants to win on the margins. You know that it's a team that has, you know has should in a vacuum it seems like should want to run the ball because they have a coach who wants to run the ball and they have very good running backs right but on the year right they're 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 leading running back with the most carries is rico daddle with 56 carries for 370 yards 48 percent success rate 14 percent explosiveness rate that's um you know kind of in line with like i guess like a brian harrian uh mm-hmm. you know kind of uh kind of performance then you have tavian feaster 51 carries 292 yards 47 percent success rate 10 percent explosiveness rate also very good probably more of like a that's a, maybe a little bit below brian harian right yeah but it's weird because it goes from 56 to carries 51 carries then all the way down to 19 carries and it's just weird to me because this seems like a team that would want to run the ball. And I know, like you said, some of that's situational. Sometimes it's getting behind. Like if you're getting destroyed by Alabama, you don't have the you don't have the like luxury of trying to play like this low margin like man ball, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's that's fine. But it, it's just really weird to me because it seems like on the whole, it's like there's a weird disconnect between what their team wide numbers say and what their actual individual data says yeah and then also what their usage statistics say it's very they are a team and that in many ways is like i'm i'm not worried about them and i don't think that there's going to i think there's going to be a little drama because i think they're better than tennessee but i don't think there's going to be too much drama in the in this game but i i do sort of just like i don't really know what to expect from them yeah i don't know that they're gonna i mean like on, on the on the basis of rankings and raw data, raw uh, advanced data, it seems like that they would want to run on us, but I don't know that they're going to be able to because I don't know that they're going to be no. able to get stops. Yeah. Right. So it, that's it's just it's sitting here and going through these uh, going through these stats in the last like half hour has been a really weird experience to me because I I usually you know I, I think I I have um, if not mastered then gotten a lot better at the art of like using a you know using a box score or a set of data mm-hmm. to sort of start to tell a story. Yeah. And with this team, it has become, it, it's very difficult for me to tell any, you know, story, right? The story to me at the, on the year seems to be they want to run, but they haven't been able to because they've been losing because their defense hasn't been good enough. Mm-hmm. And their offense other outside of their running game is not good. Yeah. And, it's, and it, I mean, so that's, it's just weird because this is a team that has some amount of talent on it. Yeah. But the the rankings and the results don't seem to match up to me. Uh, I think part of the story you might be looking for too is that, after you talked about the the rushing statistics on those specific players you know looking at the receiving statistics on those specific players down individually they're kind of similar in that same way it just seems like they're they're trying to force the ball down certain ways like no matter what kind of players or personnel they have or whatever scheme they're trying to run it just seems like they're trying to do they're trying to fit a a square peg into a round hole because if you look at the top three wide receivers they have in edward smith and mark way right now they are all uh, 348, 220, 172 as far as total yards goes, and it drops all the way down to 85. And this is a team that has right. been passing a bunch. They haven't been completing a bunch, but they have been passing a bunch. And you'd think well, that you know, when, they'd be passing around more I, often. Well, as you're saying this, that makes me wonder about just like their depth, mm-hmm. like their, their, their per quarter uh, success rate, which I don't have in front of me. Probably, I, I don't think that this team is necessarily d- as deep by design or by function as uga Mm -hmm. but i also think that just the way 
if you take all of the things I dislike about Kirby Smart as a coach, which there aren't many of them, but if you take that set of factors and then you multiply them by like 10, that's the problem with Will Champ as a coach, right? Like the inability to adjust, the unwillingness to use new players when you can use them, the like lack of creative, uh, creativity and risk offensively, the you know insistence on playing man ball, even in situations where it doesn't make sense to do it. Mm-hmm. All of that, that is you, that is Wilma Stamp to a T. Yeah. So, I mean, part of this might come from the sort of fil- the, the disconnect between the philosophy of we're going to run the ball, we're going to be physical, we're going to establish the run, and the inability to do that. Yeah. And so that what that leaves you with is a low usage running game uh, that has been pretty effective and a high usage passing game that you've had to use to try to bail you out of spots that has not worked. It's just, it's very weird. And I we've, we've mostly focused on when... USC has the ball because I think when UGA has the ball, there's not a lot that USC I think is going to do. No. Um, Offensively, you know, their pass down SR rank, like they're pretty good in passing downs, but just as a raw, you know, like a, on a raw basis, not sorted by down their uh, passing as a success rate on defense is not good at all. It's below middle of the pack. In fact, they've much, they've been a much better defensive defensively. They've been a much better uh, rushing team defending the rush than they have been defending the pass. Um, So it's just hard. I mean, this is another one of those times, not quite as uh, I will say dramatically as the Tennessee game, where if you look at the radar chart for this game, UGA's offense just totally encircles SC's defense so it, it's hard to – there's not a lot of – I think we're going to be able to run the ball on this team, even though they have a decent rushing success rate, right? They, they have the 10th-ranked rushing success rate and then it allowed in the nation, right? But I just think that if you combine that with the fact that we have the third rushing success rate offense and they have the 10th, combined with the fact that we have the second passing success rate offense and they have the 61st, I think that's what's going to kill them. I think that we have done a much better job in the last couple of games of passing on first down. And I think that is going to be a lethal, lethal thing uh, for this offense on the day. I think that this is going to be a a game where Jake Fromm, there's going to be a moment where Jake Fromm has, um, where maybe the team is not playing quite as well as we expected. And Jake Fromm does the thing that Jake Fromm does where he just leads us down the field in like a minute and a half. Yeah. I was just looking at the defensive stats and just number by number, they're not all that different, unfortunately, but the, the level of uh, the, the strength of schedule for both these teams are very different. Cause I was looking what down do you mean, number by number by number, nine, but uh, like total numbers um, just as like total tackles, three twenty six for USC total tackles for UGA three eleven. That doesn't tell us as much, but oh. total sacks for USC 12 to UGA's 15, um the sack yards tell you a little bit more of the story 89 sack yards for usc and 120 for uga but um forced fumbles two for uga five for usc it's just it's it's fairly similar but also the strength of schedule kind of says a little bit yeah, more i about mean the street the the strength of sexual schedule is much different but that's not really the comparison that matters right? no it's not it's usc's offense versus uga's defense mm-hmm. that and that and that has kind of been the story of the season to this point this year i think uga has had the advantage of being tested but has not yet faced the team that is capable of exploiting its deepest weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame did a pretty good job of pushing on some of those weaknesses, you know, in, in experience in the, um, in the center of our defense, maybe a lack of, you know, true playmakers on the defense, despite a lot of depth and experience in the um, wide receiver core and experience in the center of the offensive line. They did a pretty good job of probing those areas, but they didn't really have the talent to take advantage of it. 
And I think this is another team that matches up well enough in some spots against UGA on a position by position basis, like, you know, uh, defending the run or running it, you know, running the ball themselves. Like they they do pretty well at that part, but just in general is still going to be outmatched by an audit from a talent perspective. And I'm starting to wonder if like in my mind, there's like one of two things that this uh, trend is going to lead to either a UGA gets a lot better because we are tested, but not totally like pushed in our weakest areas or B we are a paper tiger that is going to get burnt up the first time we play a truly elite team. I don't know which one. (laughs) So yeah, there we go. (laughs) The world is a confusing place. Time is a flat circle. Um, Tell me some things. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, well, there's, I guess, yeah, we can, we can transition to this in terms of things I want to see. No, no, in terms there, there's one more stat I want to talk about, but this directly, this directly connects to things I want to see. Okay. UGA is currently first in the nation in success rank on first down. Mm -hmm. USC at defending first downs is currently 48th in the nation. If this team has, if this team is operating the way it should, UGA's offense they should be looking at a lot of second and fives, a lot of second and fours, right? And if we do that, we're going to win the game. And I think we're going to do a pretty good job of that. And we are going to win the game. But I, it, this is a this is a like truly superlative part of this offense is the ability to run or pass on first down. And in particular, lately, pass on first down. Um, you know, standard down success rate, sixth in the nation. That is That is very, very good. If UGA stays on schedule, they are lethal. And they've done an excellent job of staying on schedule because their first down success rate is literally unmatched by in the rest of the nation. So, you know, I think less as a signal of who's going to win the game and more of a signal of, you know, is this team reaching its potential? You should see UGA really, really moving the ball well in early downs. That's the number one thing I want to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some there's some like more specific like player by player things I'd like to see, but I think that is the thing where if UGA continues to have an offense that is elite at this level. I have a hard time imagining us not getting through the season at at worst eleven and one. Yeah. Now that you know that might be proven wrong if our defense regresses or if this offense doesn't keep up this rate. But when you can reliably pass for ten yards, like we are averaging just under ten yards a pass on first down, and That's when you unreal. can do that, yeah, like, yeah, it, I mean it really is. And there are, I think, maybe some weaknesses in this offense uh, in terms of explosive plays and. Some of that, I think, is just by the nature of the personalities involved, and some of it is maybe our lack of trust in our wide receivers down the field. But it's it's just it's hard to lose games when you can average nine yards on any type of play. If that makes sense, that makes sense. <laughs> like, it does, yeah. If you can if you can average nine yards doing one thing during any down, you pretty much are just gonna win. You win the game, right? Yeah. If you, yeah. So. And and as long as that continues, I think just as a holistic trend throughout the season, that's something that I will feel that will make me feel better about this team. Uh, what do you want to see? We can go back and forth on this. Yeah, um, I do. You, you already touched on it a little bit. I want to see more passing and first downs. I just want to see. I want to see continued success by using all the weapons at our disposal and keep everybody fresh. I really have enjoyed over the past couple of years, the way this offense has developed in that way. It's, it's begun to trust its younger players. It's been trusting the Juco players. It's been trusting all the players that have been put onto the field and earned a spot to play. And that shows in the stats. Then it shows that it doesn't work for other teams, just like the South Carolina team. And I'd really like to continue seeing the way that we've been using all five of our running backs every game 
in both passing and running plays. I think DeAndre Swift is really kind of getting into a good groove. Uh, I mean, last game, he was our top receiver with 72 yards. And I'd like to continue seeing that kind of stuff and continue mixing it up and getting enough reps in different types of plays for all of our players and and just using them in unique ways. Um, That's the biggest thing I want to continue seeing. Um, One thing that I mentioned in the last game is I wanted to see Eric Stokes 100%, and I'm pretty sure we may have just done that. (laughs) And I'd like to continue to see that out of eric stokes and our cornerbacks i want to see a little bit more variation in our quarterbacks our cornerbacks and not just eric stokes um and just being able to trust more of them back there because i think that if it is consistent that eric stokes comes out to play this next game it it means that it really is that he's coming into his own and it's not just because the other team was shutting off one side of the field trying to pick on eric stokes coming off an injury it means that he really is yeah. playing up to his potential and i think that that is something really special and something we can look forward to yeah and i mean i, I would say to piggyback off of that um it does not look like tyson campbell is going to play this year mm-hmm. or this, this not week this, year, but this week <laughs> knock on wood it does not look like uh Tyson Campbell is going to play this week. However, I'm very interested to see if that is the case. How does DJ Daniel look? Um, do we feel, you know, do we feel good about anyone else behind him to play at that second cornerback spot? DJ Daniel, I think, is a very gifted cornerback. I think he seems to be a very technical, technically sound player, mm-hmm. but he was just getting outbodied a couple of times. So, you know, when you're playing Shy Smith, who is not that big, but is a big guy. Or you're playing against Brian Edwards, who again, not quite as big as the Jawan Jennings type, but still a big player. Uh, you know, how can he do? How can he continue to hold up in coverage? Because even when we do get Tyson Campbell back, there are gonna be times when we need to go four or five deep at cornerback. So I think you're right. I think Eric Stokes is coming into his own, but I'm not sure I, I don't know about the depth specifically at cornerback out of that. Yeah. Second, J.R. Reed and Richard Richard LeCount had Maybe the worst the worst game of their careers uh, on especially at moments. Well, not I won't say they're of their careers, but their worst game this year certainly um, against Tennessee. Uh-huh. And I, you know, it's it's fine if you lose somebody in coverage. It's fine if you get bodied out of on a ball or you miss a 50-50 ball. But just looking lost and not rotating correctly that is a bad sign from a senior safety. Now it probably is nothing, but it needs to be proven that it was nothing. All right. Anything else you'd like to see? I have one more, but I, I wanted to hit me with it. Off, um, well, I just want to see how our offensive line looks against this defensive line. They have a pretty good defensive line. DJ Wonham is a uh, pretty a very good player. He's third for tackles and loss in the SEC. He has six already on the season. Um, they have a very good defensive end. Uh, Javon Kinlaw is uh, well. He's yeah. I guess I guess he's a defensive end. Mm-hmm. He plays at D line sometimes. He's he's not really an outside linebacker, but it doesn't matter. But he's a very good D lineman. He has had a very very good year this so far. Uh, he's like a top ten pick. You know this team has looked really good in pass coverage so far on on the year, and this O line has been as talented I think as it has been sort of like uh, cracked up to be. However, it has not it always looked great in especially in run blocking. And Ken Law is the kind of guy who can who can take advantage of that. Right? He is. Um, he's tied for the SEC lead in sacks on the year. He has fourth in four games played. He has 14 total tackles, a pass breakup, and a blocked kick. So, I mean, I think just seeing how this offensive line performs against those two guys, Wonham and Kinlaw, especially uh, on you know stunts and splits and like just the little tricky moves of shifts and all that business, 
that defensive lines can throw an offensive line. Some of those have given our offensive line trouble, especially in like run blitz situations. So I, I will be really interested to see how do we look against a very talented defensive line that is maybe not quite as talented as the defensive lines that we may be seeing if we were to go to the SEC championship. Yeah. Boom. Boom. What else you got? What's next? Over-unders. Next. You got some? Do it. Uh, yeah, I do. I haven't written them down, but okay. yeah, sure. Well, hit me with your first one. Give me... Let's go with the old... Let's go with Old Faithful, and let's go... Let, I'm, I'm going to try to sit... I'm going to try to set a more... A, a more difficult to peg over-under. I'm going to say over-under. <laughs> let's call it... Hmm. <laughs> let's say over-under three sacks by UGA's defense. Okay. Three sacks is pretty good since that's what we've been averaging. Yeah. I'm going to say... I'm actually going to say for three... Or do you want to say... Do you want to say 2.5? Would that make it harder? Probably. Let's say 2.5. Okay. Let's say 2.5. For 2.5, I'm going to say over because I do think three is within our grasp, but I don't think we're going to overextend ourselves in any way necessarily. So What would you say to 3.5? I would probably say under still. <laughs> <laughs> I think three feels um, good to me. Three is a safe bet for me personally. Yeah, I'm going to say over because I think three is the right number. Although I think that we are going to try to get pressure earlier against mm-hmm. uh, Holinsky as he is young. So I wonder if that might move us up. So what do you got? Uh, with Holinsky, over under Holinsky, 60% completion rate. He's sitting on 61% in the year. What are we thinking? Uh, I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and say a big, that is a big, that is a Texas size under my dude. Yeah um all right so what's your uh we said over under what, what was your first you said over under ryan helinski 60 percent completion. yes rate. and i said that is a texas sized under i'm gonna texas give him 10 four let's change it let's go a little bit lower how low all right let's say 55 hmm under okay i'll go over at that I point ain't 10 ply <laughs> that is where i'm safe i, I feel safe going over because I think they gotta try uh, something else. That's how I feel about it. Like they gotta do something different. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know that they have the depth of skill talent uh, that they need to run like a quick passing game, like West Coast kind of thing. Yeah. I also don't know that that's really in their DNA. No, well, I mean it is because of Rick. That was what Rick ran. But I don't know if it's like. I, we'll see. Yeah, we'll um, see. Over under over under point five UGA sacks surrendered. Um. I'll give him one. I'm not. You're not. Him. <laughs> nah. I'll give him one. Yeah, I'll, I'll give him one because I think that they're gonna be be real weird and and try some stuff early on. And I mean, we always have a moment in these games where something's gonna make us mad, and maybe a sack will make us mad. A dumb sack where here's we'll a, lose a block. Here's what I think. Uh, I think they ain't wild. They mild. <laughs> Ten ply. That's what I think. This one comes from Ryan Clark. 174 and a half UGA rushing yards over yeah way over bang the bang the drum softly but the drum is the usc rush defense we're averaging 250 per game and we got they're 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 actually a decent rush they have defense. a good um, stuff rate they have like top yeah 10 they, they stuff have a good rate. stuff rate they're giving up they're only giving up on um rushing yards per play they're only giving up 4.5 but we are uh we are uh achieving 6.7 yards per play rush yeah our, our also our rush success rank is a blistering fifty seven percent, which is just yeah. Mm, mm, and mm, this is a team that has yummy, not yummy, yummy, played. Yummy. They ain't played nobody yet, like like this rushing team. They played Alabama. Sure. I mean, they played Alabama, but Alabama's uh, right now 
a pass first offense. They have a yeah, quarterback. Which is who's weird to say, passing, but it's very it's very true. Yeah. No, you know, you're right. You're right. You're right. When you're right, you're right. <laughs> and you're right. <laughs> What's your last one? Uh let me get over under one point five Lawrence Cager touchdowns. Mm. Mm. Boy's been good for one on the year, I feel like. Yeah. I'm gonna give him I'm gonna say under. Just because I think this is one of those I mean, people are gonna start looking out for him. He's our number one receiver at this point as far as stats go. Uh he's gonna be I'm, covered more handily. I'm gonna say Yeah. <sighs> I I'm being hoisted on my own petard here. Um, passing success rate, sixty first in the nation. Let's go ahead and go. Let's go over. I think he'll just get one just because he's so lethal in the red zone, man. Okay, I think that's fair. This, All right, yeah. are we ready for predictions? Yes. So this is a twenty four right, twenty four and a half point spread in UJ's favor with a fifty three point over under. So that is an interesting game to say the least with uh you know the those odds are saying that we see i was just trying to do math really quickly but we're not actually math people despite this weird show we put on um anyway the that being said uh paint me a paint me a picture i think this is a game where we our frustration comes not from sacks but from just jake from or from the the running game's inability to convert short rushing yard situations. I think that we are going to get stuffed a couple of times in the running game, especially early in the game when we are going to just run the ball up the middle because that is what we do. Um, I ultimately think that Jake Fromm and the rest of our passing offense are too good. And I think over the long term that this rushing offense will get some traction, you know, at the end of the first quarter and kick it into gear. Um, 24 and a half points. Man, that seems... It seems pretty pretty hefty. Think so. Currently, well, okay. So twenty four and a half point is the is the um, is the over under from Vegas. Yeah. But currently, per what's S and P plus, this would give us. Let's see, ten point four. This is about an eighteen point game. Really? I yeah. I think twenty points ish feels like maybe a little bit more accurate to me than 24 i think this might be like a three possession game i don't know that it'll really be in doubt after the second quarter but i do think that they have a good enough defense rush wise that they are going to stymie us a little bit especially early early in the game so let's see if that brings down I could definitely see this being like a a really weird score game because uh, Will Muschamp is just willing to kick field goals at all times. So I could see this being like a... um, (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and say 38-16 because I think this is going to be a game where Will Muschamp just settles for a bunch of field goals and pisses off their fans a lot because that's what he does. (laughs) And I think this might be a game where we don't... Maybe they're never leading because they're not having as much success offensively, but we're also not really doing much, and it's just kind of a vintage SEC game. And then in you know in the second quarter, Jake Fromm does the whole like nine plays, five minutes, ninety five yards, oh, yeah. touchdown to Lawrence Cager in the corner on a back shoulder throw kind of thing. And then I think after that, like I think once if we can get them down by I don't know I, I think this will be a very similar plan to like the sort of Georgia Tech Georgia Tech game plan strategically if not tactically mm-hmm. where it's like when we can get them behind like 14 points they're gonna have to start throwing the ball and that's when we can really start to you know put this away yeah I think this is an interesting game I have a feeling I have a gut feeling 
What's your gut feeling? My gut feeling is that, and I don't think, I, I tend to be a little bit more skeptical, uh, but I have a good feeling that this could be, if we finish the first quarter and we're ahead by two touchdowns and South Carolina's with, uh, still at zero, I feel like this could be a shutout based off of their, Ooh. yeah. Ooh, special boy. But that's, I think that that's the scenario it has to be. We have to be two to two and a half scores up and they have to have no scores. And I think this game is in the bag. And the reason I think that is because of their past experience, what they've showed us so far, is that they tend to say, you know what, we're good at running, but we're so far behind, we're just going to rely on Holinsky. And it seems like Muschamp's idea right now is we're just going to throw him to the wolves and eventually, you know, the the law law of large numbers, he's eventually going to get it because he's done it so many times. It is very much law of large numbers in the sense that uh, he is throwing way too much. (laughs) Throwing way too much. I think he was 11 for 30 in their last game against UNC. That is god-awful. Uh, and that's not his fault, and I don't want to blame him for it right this minute. Um, but I think that this is not going to be any different. Uh, two weeks difference is not going to make or change the world in any way. And so if that is the case, if that is the scenario we have going into the second quarter, I think there's a good chance of this being a shutout and seeing a game that's like 34 to 0. Ooh, okay. That would definitely be a statement game. It would be. I think this is a good chance of being our statement game because I don't think Kentucky could be our statement game. If I'm using my brain, though, I'm going to say this is a 34 to 6 game. And that's oh God. That's that is what the I'm going to say. That is the worst. And you know that you, you know three of those six will come like in the fourth quarter on like a fourth and three from mm-hmm. the 30. Exactly. Where it's just like, even I think you should go for this, my dude. <laughs> just try. <laughs> yeah, just do like do something. So yeah, that's what I'll go with. Thirty-four to six is that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yep. Feel good about it. Yeah, I do. All Let's right. transition into our. You know, like this is this this next thing. This is our pick. Our pig to. F- <laughs> um, we're gonna transition into our favorite segment. I'm just gonna try to put as many letter Kenny references into the rest of this episode as possible. Mm-hmm. It's um, funny. It's one of those shows. You, you that okay I, with that? Yeah, that's fine. I've never, really, I've never watched the show, but I know enough about it to know the memes and why they're funny. That's it. So moving into our very favorite segment of the show is the Ask CBC segment. So hashtag Ask CBC. If you want to get your question on the show, make sure you ask them before we record on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, so, or Mondays and Wednesdays. Excuse me. Um, Tuesdays and Thursdays is when the show comes out. But you can just hashtag Ask CBC your questions or send them to us in good old snail mail, Facebook Messenger. Any way you can get those questions to us, we will answer them on air. But our very first one comes from Ryan Clark. It is an over-under, not officially, st- uh, statistically speaking, but an over-under nonetheless. It is two and a half angry yelling must champ faces broadcast on TV. Oh, he's going to get that in the first quarter. Over. <laughs> over so all too. day. I'll you, go with over as well. You could well. put it at like five, and I think I'd take it. I'd say I, I'm pretty, pretty, I think it's pretty safe to say he's probably averaging at least one angry face on TV a quarter. Yeah. I think that's a way, that's a bad set. That's like a there's a market inefficiency there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next one comes from Dirty Dan. If Rage Kirby were Mega. a vine, RIP. Uh, which one would he be and why? Ooh, that is a good question. I think he. There's that one gif of of Kirby. I think he's at Justin Fields' game in high school, and he's e- eating popcorn, and he turns around and just goes, well, "Wow." Not, <laughs> I know it's that's not, a, not vine, a vine, but it's a it you know. Vines are I'll tell you what he would be. Sound. There's a vine where there's like two guys. Well, it's the same guy. One of them has on a wig, but they're like standing there listening to this like boy band song, and one of them reaches deposit, and the other one's still smiling and kind of dancing, pulls a gun out. 
and that's Kirby. That's the Kirby. <laughs> that one's Kirby. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I you know that there's that one where um, this guy's being interviewed on what seems like like high school or like closed circuit TV, but they're in a school and somebody jumps out of a trash can and tries to scare him, and he turns around and just punches him in the the face or the chest, and he falls back uh-huh. into the trash can. I think that's Kirby. Yeah. No, you know what it is? It's the one where it's the guy who's trying to sneak up on this couple and he goes, boo. And then she turns around and she's just like, F- you. That's Kirby. <laughs> That's angry Kirby. Yep. Okay. Next one comes from Alan Ivoroni. When will the Braves finally get rid of the racist tomahawk chop routine? And he puts in parentheses, this is a college football related question because Dion brought it to Atlanta from Florida State. Uh, hopefully this year because they just got their asses whipped. They sure did by St. Louis. What was it thirteen to one? That was the final. I think so. I, I, I again. I, I am an, I am a disincorporated, loosely conglomerated pieces of ice corpse. I, <laughs> I am the, I am the witch king. No man can kill me. The only person who can kill me is a, a very strong woman wearing a suit of Valkyrie armor. You like when it comes to sports, I will just shamble on. There's no amount. <laughs> nothing can hurt me. This next okay. question comes from the 984. What do we have to do for this series to be officially known as the Deep South's oldest non-rivalry? Or would giving it an official name make it a rivalry, which it is not? Mm, I don't think it would. I think there are a lot of uh, officially named games that are barely rivalries. Yeah. I think South Carolina had their chance to make this a rivalry when Steve Spurrier was there. And I think yeah. the time has passed. Yeah. If it were a rivalry, it would be like the Miller High Life, the PBR <laughs> Memorial Trophy. That's what I would call it. For these champagne people. of games uh yeah. stage manager for life asks what is your favorite board and ta- uh, slash tabletop game to play i have a suggestion for this since you know way more about board games mm-hmm. why don't you do board games okay. and i'll do tabletop games that makes sense i have to think Hit about me. it um it depends on the situation mostly but the game that i always go back to and say that i love so so much and i have been saying in the last couple of years is uh mysterium mysterium is is a really cool game where the flavor text says um you are one player is a ghost and everyone else is they play a uh a like a psychic that is communicating with the the dead uh which the one player is the ghost and so what they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out clue style how where and why they were killed and so yeah and it's like a it's like a detective game but you only communicate through like images and stuff exactly so they're they're doing so good they're having visions is the the, what the text says is like those characters are all having visions and so the ghost has to without speaking they can't speak the whole game they're handing out cards with these like beautifully illustrated uh pictures on them to all the players and they're trying to say like well they're this one's got a bird and so does this one so they probably died from like a hawk or something i guess um and the ghost is just sitting there like jesus christ um, there's a gun on all four, but it's a really fun game. And I think you can still buy it at like target for 30 bucks and everyone should play it. Okay. Great answer. That's a very good game. Um, okay. Wow. Ooh, tabletop games. This is a deep question. I'll give you, I'll give you the two that I currently like the most. Oh man. It's so hard. <sighs> okay. So I, I, this is a big question, man. It really um, is. Okay, so I would say for just pure pick-up-and-play ability, there's two games I would give you. One would be Monster Hearts. It's a system apocalypse game about playing a monster who is a high school student, and it is like the worst kind of like sex-filled CW <laughs> euphoria-style show, except everyone is True like... True blood. Yeah, ex- 
yeah except everyone is like a vampire mm-hmm. except the whole part the point is you're not a monster because you're a werewolf you're a monster because you're a 17 year old and it is so fun <laughs> and every player every every like quote-unquote character class every playbook has a sex move which becomes really relevant to the game and it's just people being their worst teenage selves that one's also very very good um the second one i would give which is in terms of if you think of like tabletop games as shared narrative experiences the best narrative experience well one of the best i've ever had was with a game called hot guys making out but it's a bad it's a bad name because it's not really about guys making out. It is just a, a game in which you can narrate a relationship pl- by playing cards. Mm-hmm. And it has been the most like poignant, powerful experiences that I still think of to this day were made using the hot guys making out system. You can you can tell a story about any two people falling in love as long as they are being foiled by some horrible circumstance. Like the default setting is uh, a young college student has come to live with this like reclusive beautiful billionaire in the spanish countryside just as the spanish civil war is breaking out and so the threat is that the spanish civil war is going to kill them both before they fall in love and get it out of there but i've played it in the dragon age universe i played it in the star wars universe i played it in the you know just like freshman dorms at uga universe (laughs) it is so good i cannot recommend it enough it is like two sets of rules all you need to play it is deck of cards i think everyone should play it anyway we played that game at like four in the morning last year at the gameathon and mm-hmm. we were on like the space deep space like mining colony and yeah you, you were playing like an aliens type thing right yeah it was like an aliens type thing and it started with everybody being like super punch truck at four in the morning and saying stuff like oh yeah they're gonna make out it's gonna be real hot and like i guess they have sex now but by the end of it everyone was like does it have to end <laughs> yeah no exactly i playing i once listened i once listened to my wife and my very good friend peter play that game and they were playing two boys that fell in love in russell hall at uga and it was just the saddest story about like two people who just are at the wrong time in their lives to make a relationship work but it was so poignant and so sweet and just so powerful i i like i think about ollie and carter those two characters like once or twice a month (laughs) to this day anyway next question uh chapel wable distribution has Secret Agent Muschamp gone easy on UGA if we measure by advanced stats? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Pretty, uh, the, the most important advanced stat being wins. Um, yes. <laughs> I think this is, uh, we, we control the series right now at four wins in a row. Yeah. Which this is also coincidentally Muschamp's fourth or fifth year? Fifth year? Mm-hmm. Fourth year. I think that's right. Anyway. Ben Shepard asks, what is your favorite science fiction novel and why is it Dune? So there you go, Nathan. Okay, I, I need you to stop me after like five minutes. <laughs> <sighs> Gotta conduct myself. I think you've also answered this question in a past season. Yeah, I have, but but he set me up for this he so did. well. He did, here you go. Okay, Dune is not a science fiction novel, it's a fantasy novel, and here's why. That's correct. Darker Suvin, I think maybe the foundational theorist in science fiction, said that um, science fiction is about the heralding of the new. Science fiction is about the liminal state in which humanity encounters the novum, that which they can truly not encompass in their Jungian uh, archetypal minds, right? And so that really science fiction is not about spaceships or other planets, but it is it is about the way in which humanity interacts with the very bleeding edge of existence how do we deal with things that we truly cannot comprehend using our existing systems of thought that is science fiction at its core right 
And by that definition, I really think Dune is more of a fantasy novel. And I don't say that like in a, in a dismissive way, because I think Dune is one of the better novel series ever written. It's amazing. But Dune is about feudal. It's about feudalism and inheritance and the sins of the father and willpower and insurrection, right? It, it is looking at all of these ancient concepts through a science fictional lens, through the dressing of science fiction, which I think is, a, is an equally effective strategy, but it does not approach. It, it is a thematic work that approaches themes that have been, that are age old, right? In a way that is not, um, that is, is new to us, but really the questions they're asking are are the things are not the new things. It's the way that they're asking them, right? A, a book similar series to this, if Ben Shepard, if you really like Dune, is to read Hyperion. Hyperion by Dan Simmons is a, it's an amazing, mind blowing work of fiction. It is sort of science fiction, but it's also like the first book is a retelling of the Canterbury Tale, and I think it's a similar thing where it's like kind of a fantasy book disguised as science fiction work. Doesn't matter. The best science fiction <laughs> book is Neuromancer, and let me tell you why. <sighs> Neuromancer, it, I, I think one of the things as someone who reads a lot that I really respect is when I can be stunned by a work of art, when you can be stunned by a narrative, when you, when you find a narrative to literally be awesome as in it is in it inspires awe in you, right? That, that is what Neuromancer did to me because everybody argues about whether 1984 or Brave New World predicted the future better, but they were wrong. The, the book that predicted the future the best is Neuromancer, written in 1983 by William Gibson. Because Neuromancer was one of the first visions of an American future and of a world future where the problem was not the small-mindedness of dictatorship or the sort of like um, panacea of processed media, but a world where the enemy of the people were corporations, where the greatest evil in the world was not you know some concept or some evil person but literally the foundational systems that we've used to organize this country for the past 150 years. Right. And so, you know, as the founding work of cyberpunk, it was the foundational work of imagining a future where, you know, the enemy of the people was not the state, but it was the capitalist society in which the state, you know, existed and resided. Right. And I guess you could argue that maybe by that standard that like the communist manifesto (laughs) did this a little (laughs) bit better, but I mean, I think, I think cyberpunk, the, 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 the creation neuromancer created a lens of the looking at the world that was simultaneously cynical of man's capacity for great injustice and for man's capacity to, well, humanity's capacity to create a system in which it is impossible to, you know, creating their own sort of Kafkaesque nightmare systems, but simultaneously acknowledging the true transcendental power of technology on, on humanity. The, the idea that humans are the divine and the demonic all wrapped in up in one by our very nature, that our worst tendencies lead to these systems that control us and kill us and torture us, but our greatest tendencies lead to these breakthroughs in technology that redefine who we are. And that liminal state between you know corporate autocracy and transhumanist future utopia, that's, I think, the real genius of Neuromancer and of cyberpunk in general is not that it's that it's neither a optimistic nor pessimistic genre it is a genre that sees humanity as it is and i hate to quote friar lawrence from romeo and juliet here but i would say uh, to me the quote that most evokes that like sort of like um essentially human nature of cyberpunk is the the line from friar lawrence and romeo and juliet when he says two two opposed kings encamp them stand uh, still and herbs as well as men grace and rude will and i think that 
you know, what Neuromancer did was it asked that question, but not about humanity, but about what humanity would become. So yeah, I'm done. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I got it on my system. That's good. That was beautiful. He asked. He knew what was happening. He did. He did. He did. <clears throat> now we'll move to our very last segment of the show, the Dr. James Bearfield Troll Corner, presented by Cheer Wine. It's the wine that gives you diabetes, TM, TM, TM. James asks, I was a little confused with your answers to the movie question. As two smart, stats-focused podcasters, why is Terminator 2 Judgment Day not y'all's favorite movie? Please explain. Okay, Terminator 2 is a pretty good movie. Terminator 2 is pretty good. I, I'd say of the Terminators, yeah. it might be the best. Would you choose a, a different Terminator movie as your favorite Terminator movie? Are you a uh, fan of the Terminator? No, I think Judgment... I, yeah, I do. I think Judgment Day is the best, okay. personally. Yeah, I think Arnold plays a better good guy than bad guy. That's kind of how I feel about it. Uh, yeah, I agree. Have either of you pet Sir Big Spur? Because I have. <laughs> yeah, I have. He's just a chicken. I mean, Ugga's just a dog, but at least he's cute. I don't know. I have a soft spot for chickens because my mom raises chickens, but yeah. still. Does your mom have a favorite chicken? Nah. Nah. <laughs> we lost all of our chickens a couple of years ago because a raccoon ate them. Damn. All now, at oh, once? we do have a pig. We have a pig. Her name's Daisy. She she protects the chickens. <laughs> Pigs are mean. The raccoons are scared mean. of her. Now she's not even mean. She's just giant and like me and like surly, <laughs> and no, no like small predator will get near our chicken coop. Too Look, big I was, for a I was partially, mouth. Yeah, I was I was partially raised in a place called Clem, Georgia, and you can kind of tell. But whatever. Yes, I have had <laughs> Sir Big Star. Calls it a crick. Uh, Nathan, if you could have one UGA football player as a student in your English class, who would it be and why? Man, that is a hard question. Andrew Thomas is the answer, though. <laughs> Offensive linemen are always the smartest people on the team. And I think Andrew Thomas is a quiet guy, but I think he's really smart. Uh, do you think we'll be seeing Jake Fromm play on Saturday or Sunday next year? It's hard to say at this That's point. That's a hard yeah. question. I'm not sure yet. Oh, man. I'm about to say something. I don't think we're going to. No, hold on. Let me see. I, I want to put this not as a hit on Jake Fromm, but I think that Jake Fromm's projection is going to mean that he doesn't play on Sunday regardless because I think he's going to get drafted by a really good team and sit behind someone. Like, yeah. I don't know. In my worst nightmare, the Saints. My worst nightmare is the yeah. Patriots. I don't uh, think the Patriots take him. He's not. He doesn't look the same as uh, their their golden goddess, Tom Brady. I think I could see Jake Fromm staying another year, but it all depends on how the rest of the year goes, I feel. And also, it's the players he's going up against at the end of this year in the draft. But it's It doesn't look great uh, going up against Jalen Hurts and Tua, but still... There are a lot of QBs coming out. And Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow. But Jake yeah, Fromm. I think he might wait just because of the, 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 yeah. There are a lot of big quarterbacks coming out this year, though, I will say. And there are a lot of uh, spots that will need to be filled. But I think it'd be better to wait a year than to, and see kind of where things shake up and people settle in. But, you know, I'm not the one facing this sort of decision. That's just me. Uh, what do the stats show us on how we try to stop my, Matt Oliveira? Oliveira, excuse me. Who? <laughs> i did actually have to look him up because i had no idea who that was who is he he's, he's <laughs> um he is their long snapper <laughs> <laughs> oh man he's a transfer from maryland he is oh man that is so good james i I don't know. I he's 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 an experienced kid. He's going to be hard to contain, <laughs> especially if they are going straight for the field goal every time. Incredible. Uh, is Fromm as good as Grayson Lambert against USC? Yes. Next question. Are you sure though? Because he's beaten him more than once. That's true. But you only need to beat him once that well. 
for it to really to count, I feel. Uh, yeah, no, he's still better than Grayson Lambert. <laughs> His name's Jake Fromm. Yeah. Grayson Lambert's name is Jake Grayson Lambert. Grayson Lambert sounds like uh, a country star in The Waiting. Yeah, he really does. All right, Nathan, that's all the questions we got. Oh, man, we did it. We did I feel it. like this one went really fast. Really? I, I am just, I am just, I, I was just, I stayed fierce <laughs> all the way through it. You sure did. Stay pissed. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I, I, I've heard, I, I'm hearing now that we have misidentified a very important character in this, uh, this series, which is uh, NCAA record holder, Grayson You're Lambert. damn right. How dare we? How dare we, sir? All right. See us out of here. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard today, we'd love it if you could leave us a review over at iTunes or your podcast haberdasher of choice. If you really loved what you heard today, you can feel free to check the link in the description of this post for our Patreon and drop us a couple of dollars in there. Then you can listen to this happen live in all of its messy glory. If you <laughs> would like to have some uh, Chapel Bell Curve merch on your beautiful face or I will say um, platonically beautiful body, <laughs> then you can check out our merch store over on Etsy or you can look at any of our Facebooks or Twitters to find flex. that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You can also get in touch with us by searching Chapel Bell Curve on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or you can send us an email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. If you'd like to hear a question out, answered on the air, you can hash, you can tag a post on Twitter or Facebook, hashtag AskCBC. You can also send us a DM or an email. We will catch you this weekend in the Classic City, um, especially be on the lookout for Justin, who will be on the field being recognized for his work with Books with Keeps. Books for Keeps. Books for Keeps. <laughs> books to Keeps. Book, books for Books and book keeps. keeps. for people. <laughs> yeah. He'll be recognized for his work uh, with Books for Keeps between, what? do you know what quarter it's going to be during? The second quarter. The, during the second quarter, keep a lookout for Justin. Get as many pictures of him as you can, and then just tag him, you know, at Chapel Bell Curve, Chapel Bell Curve in the Wild. We need to come up Chapel with like Bell a Curve hashtag Chapel Bell Curve in the Wild. <laughs> CBC Wild CBC is wild. the uh, CBC is the Gone tag Wild. For... No, you will never see a CBC Gone Wild picture <laughs> of me. Um, CBC Wild is the tag for the David Attenborough style pictures that you take of us when you see us at games. Anyway, we will catch you this weekend in the Classic City. But until then, go dogs. Go dogs.